0: Claire Edwards, and you're listening to Authentic Leadership, a series of conversations, insights and inspirations with leaders who are real, raw and authentic. Today, I bring you an inspiring and uplifting conversation and one of great significance with Yvonne and Alex Kelly, founders of award-winning social enterprise, Glow Up Careers and Driftwood Consulting. Our conversation begins in the true essence of authenticity with Yvonne sharing a deeply personal roller coaster journey um, that has taken them to where they are now. And today's podcast is on the topic of leading for social good. I always invite guests to share from their heart, to be authentic and to share their stories, their lessons learned, their tales from the trenches. And I can assure you that with this podcast, You won't be disappointed. Yvonne and Alex Kelly are the founders of Glow Up Careers, an award-winning social enterprise and one that I'm proud to be a part of. Their mission is to empower everyone to have the career of their dreams, no matter who they are or where they're from. With a successful career in recruiting, Yvonne has a passion for inclusion and giving everyone the opportunity to find meaningful work and her partner in crime Alex. Well, both in business and life, uh, Alex is the brain's trust that makes everything look flowing and easy. And I'm excited because this is a first for Authentic Leadership. It's our first three-way conversation in the podcast. And it's the first time we're using video as well as audio. So. Bear with us. Let's look, let's crack on and welcome them both on the topic of, it's such a good topic, leading for social good. Yvonne and Alex, welcome to Authentic Leadership. Thanks, Claire.
1: Thanks, Claire. Great to be here.
0: It's good to be able to see your responses as well. It's fantastic. Okay, so um, we'll start with you, Yvonne. I mean, I, you know, I know you, I've got first-hand experience of just how passionate and driven you are in this particular space and i'm thinking whenever somebody's got to such uh such a, a degree of passion such a a level of a level of commitment there has to be some sort of backstory. Um, so i'm just wondering if you can open up by sharing with our listeners what what is it that drives you so strongly and why
2: thanks claire Um, I think my passion is driven from what I absolutely love to do so I love the work that I do and I love the social impact that we're having but there is a story that uh, was really a trigger for us setting up Glow Up and, and really going down this pathway of pivoting from recruitment into doing more social good so uh, Alex and I have been together a long time. <laughs> um, yeah, 21 Alex,
0: years.
2: Alex had a career um, in the pharmaceutical biotech industry, which was quite different. I've always worked in recruitment. Um, I had my own business for 10 years and that was going really well. We got married. We decided we want to have kids and uh, unfortunately, it just took uh, a bit uh, of uh, time to have children. So. We had multiple miscarriages and it was yeah, a long journey we, to... were, we were very stressed.
1: I spent more than half the year overseas on business, which made it logistically hard to have kids. So yes,
2: yeah, so was a, it was a difficult time and we really wanted to prioritize that. We did take six months out of my business. Um, Alex left his job at the time and we traveled uh, a few days before we left on that journey. I found out I was pregnant. <laughs> And was sick for most of the trip uh, but we had a great time we came back um, and we uh, I, I went back into my business Alex um, looked after we had our first son and 13 months later our daughter arrived <laughs> quite unexpectedly uh, so it was really exciting to have a family um, you know that was what we'd really uh, been working towards and dreaming of and Alex was an amazing stay-at-home dad and I was busy working in the business and we just decided that we both wanted to be closer to my family in Ireland and um, we thought it we'd uh, sell my business, we'd sell our home, sell everything and <laughs> um, so we packed up our whole life, we shipped it to Ireland and we got there and we were in for a very rude shock. <laughs> so Yeah, it was at the bottom of a recession in Ireland. We'd been super enthusiastic. We were so, um, I suppose, confident in our own abilities because we both had very successful careers in Australia and we were moving to a country where we spoke the language and we knew the culture and I'd grown up there. But when we went to find work, we found it really impossible. There was so many barriers. Um, So we couldn't get a credit card. We had to pay 12 months rent up front. Um, Local businesses didn't recognise our skill set. and They didn't feel confident that we could do the jobs. Alex had, yeah, some really full-on experience. I think
1: we were also treated with suspicion as kind of foreign devils in a way. And it was my first experience in my whole life, even though we were in Ireland, which is very Anglo-Saxon culture, not unlike Australia traditionally was, it was the very first experience in my life of feeling kind of on the outer, Yes. Yeah. 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 socially and, you know, professionally. And we were treated, I think, probably because we'd come from, you know, we'd sold all this stuff in Australia to move to Ireland and we had money and we arrived in Ireland at the depths of their recession post-GFC, we were sort of eyed with suspicion because we were sort of super positive and upbeat and everyone else was depressed and miserable. Yeah. So we were just seen as kind of aliens. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So we had an amazing time with family and it was lovely. The kids were very little. They got to hang out with their cousins. And um, But after 18 months of being unemployed, <laughs> we had to make a tough decision and move back to Australia. So... We shipped all our furniture up again, shipped it over to Australia. And when we got back to Australia, we had to start again. So I had sold my business. I had a non-compete clause. I couldn't um, work with my previous clients. Um, Alex had quit his job. So, yeah, it was um, start again. So And we'd run out of money. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. And you are literally between the devil and the deep blue sea,
2: aren't
1: you? It's like, it was like leaving high school again, essentially yeah all over again
2: yeah so when we got back then our furniture got lost at sea for a few months we had no home to live in um we couldn't rent because we no furniture to put in in somewhere that we rented so we stayed with friends and uh, so one of our beautiful friends uh, gave us access to her holiday house and one day we were sitting on the beach with the kids and um, trying to stay positive about our future um, and Alex and I just started to have a chat and we were thinking what will we do now and we thought we really started to reflect on what we had been through and I think we'd been quite kind of positive and, and upbeat through the whole process to try and uh, not really admit defeat I think <laughs> Um And we sat there reflecting and we thought, wow, you know, if we've been through such a difficult time and we're Anglo and we speak English and um, what is it like? Degree qualified, long
1: careers, you know, lots of experience made no difference.
2: So what is it like for people that come to Australia who don't have the language and don't have the culture um, cultural background so we really made a pact that day on the beach that we really wanted to do something in this space we didn't know what it was going to look like and yeah. um, yeah. we thought that we'd start with recruitment because that was what I knew Um, and I thought uh, Alex was uh, very quick to learn and, and it was
1: it, recruitment you know not to take away from recruitment but because it's a sort of virtual business or it can run this was when the idea modern idea of everything in the cloud and virtual was really getting going globally, yeah. yeah, it was a quick and easy business to set up. You know, we had some branding and a website and we were away.
2: So. Yeah. And I think because it had been difficult for us to have children, we really wanted to build a life around our family. So yeah. we set an intention that we wanted to have the flexibility to be there for our kids when they were young and to both play a part rather than one of us go off to work. We both wanted to be there. So, yeah, we've really built um, our business to fit with our uh, family values and and really what we set out as goals to achieve and as I said in the back of our mind it was always about how can we support through what we've been through a really difficult time how can we support others in their career and to help them find really meaningful work and a place that they feel that they belong. Wow
0: wow gosh thank you for sharing that I didn't know an, an awful lot of that story and um and I think and I really appreciate it because there'll be a lot of people listening that will that will identify with that. So, so what I'm hearing, there's like three sets of values here. You've got obviously that that commercial element that need to uh, create a business and create a business that provides an income for both of you. You've got your family values and then you've got these values of inclusion, having experienced so many barriers an exclusion so you know you you, you'd be forgiven for thinking well let's just get the commercial stuff going and and the rest will be okay but but you haven't you've created a social enterprise so i I mean how do you do that alex i'm just going to throw it at you i know it's not exactly the question we were preparing but i'm just in my head trying to Get into your head as how you balance all of that and and make that decision?
1: We started with the commercial to be honest, and so our original recruitment business is called Driftwood, and we came up with that name. I mean it's not a it's not an uncommon name in business, but it is uncommon in recruitment. and we came up with it because we had spent what amounted to pretty much two years drifting. yeah and we were sitting there when on that beach wondering what to do with ourselves and we thought well we can go in to, together. And then we've at least got the freedom to make it what it will be. But we also thought that there's probably a lot of other people drifting through life, in careers, not in careers, as stay-at-home mum or dad, and sort of wanting more from their life. And like Yvonne had certainly had long experience in recruitment of seeing that in candidates and also in clients, you know, clients who are kind of world-weary, who were sick of recruiting, who were sort of tired of their own job as GM of whatever business. Yeah which makes it kind of a negative culture for, you know, candidates coming in. So we started with recruitment, which is very much a, you know, sort of a fee-for-service professional services industry, often seen in quite a negative light. But I think if it's done with a very sort of personable, bespoke touch with real industry insight and understanding of requirements, it can be transformative in terms of attracting the right people and helping people with their careers. So we've, from my part in it, because of my biotechnology history in in that industry and sector, I kind of started with clients in that industry and I got the impression very quickly that they liked and resonated or I resonated with them because they got quite quickly that I understood what people in their business actually did each day. Yeah, Yeah. Because I'd done it myself in the past. And so we just sort of went from there. But what happened was probably... 2014 or 15, we started to see that there was a real disconnect forming between candidate expectations of how a recruitment process works and the increasing technology automation that they didn't realise was going on in the background that was kind of ruling them out of the process. So we had really high-flying candidates with incredible experience, great training, qualifications, you know, you name it, and they would be coming to us saying, I've applied for 200 jobs and i haven't had a single callback. wow and so we're thinking it's because you're disconnected from how the process works and so your cv doesn't have the keywords relevant for your industry and your professional summary doesn't exist you know you've, you i can't find you on linkedin you're not on facebook so in terms of visibility as a personal brand you're not there and so we again we came back to the same idea that if we're seeing senior executives with this problem what about everyone else? Yeah, yeah. They probably have the same issue. And so we set up as a sort of initially as a kind of product offering, Glow Up Careers, as a, a career coaching social enterprise to help people. We wanted to set out to help people both who couldn't afford that sort of executive coaching because traditionally that's an expensive yeah. add-on, you know, it's kind of a disposable income cost centre, as well as having a sort of corporate side that we could help companies sort of improve their diversity and inclusion in hiring, but also help their internal staff, you know, with emerging leaders, help people who have suddenly found themselves in a mentoring position, but really have no experience of how to do that. And so we started initially with a sort of, again, kind of linked to recruitment to help candidates get the best out of their sort of job search strategy. And some of those were paid and some of them were, you know, we'd do it for free for friends and family and that sort of thing. And very quickly, we got onto the idea that there is an enormous, almost invisible population of people globally who have been displaced or they're refugees or they're recently arrived migrants who just cannot be seen in terms of job searching. Organisations don't see them. Governments don't see them. They've got visa issues and relocation issues. They've often got traumatic experiences from their past and they really need help. And so we thought, well, here is our target. And so that's where the sort of social part came in. And I think it timing-wise, it was good because it sort of came along at the same time as the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Yeah. In 2015. And this was like the whole of the United Nations coming together to say, you know, it's a sort of a save planet story, but also a save humanity story of there are lots of things in the world that we need to address and focus on. So between now and 2030. Let's spend 15 years really drilling down into things like there should be no poverty and fresh drinking water for everyone. And across those sustainable development goals is a real story sort of woven into the fabric of social good. So corporate has to start spending some of its ill-gotten gains, if you like, yeah. on giving back and helping people. Yeah. Helping, it could be cleaning the oceans up. It could be helping recycling, but it also can be helping people. So we've seen people like Who Gives a Crap in Melbourne selling toilet paper, but then yes. also helping with sanitation in Southeast Asia and further. So we sort of set it up on that basis because I think the world has changed.
0: And that seems to me the, the emergence of organisations that are marrying that that commercial aspect with social good and also I think in in what I'm observing that those younger generations coming through uh almost expect to be a part of that if they're going to join an organization part of that that um, equal interview process is what is you what are you as an organization doing to give back and I'm curious what's your experience of working both in the recruitment sector and in in career coaching what are you seeing as the potential rise of social good or people not understanding and not getting, organisations not understanding and not getting on the bandwagon.
2: Yeah, I definitely think candidates are choosing organisations that do good. Um, and es- especially after the two years that we've been through as <laughs> The whole world um people are starting to really question how they're working and who they're working for and that the company that they're working for is doing good um and what we're yeah we're finding that there's a real push um and even when people get into organizations they really want to push kind of their social kind of agendas that they're passionate about and the companies that give individuals the opportunity to do that um yeah you know there is a real correlation between their profits and the social impact that they make so uh, definitely the newer generations are choosing companies and they've been very specific about choosing companies that do socially good um and even with um we offer career coaching on a anyone can pay for our career coaching starts at 295 dollars so it's very accessible it's so affordable and we often get queries through our website saying that people offend us because of the social impact that we make and that's why they choose to do career coaching through us so it's definitely yeah it's definitely a very valid point that you make um yeah that that individuals are looking for that social good aspect but there's also a massive return from a company and profit perspective and shareholders all of that that um yeah socially good and and social enterprise businesses um yeah you know are the way of the future
0: yeah so it's not just altruistic it's it's a it's a true win-win
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for me, one of um, my volunteer roles is sitting on the US board of a global recruitment network. And, And a big part and a mission for me in that was to be able to spread this word around diversity and inclusion and social impact to the recruiters globally. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, you know, a lot of the recruitment that I've done, unfortunately, uh, and this is what we experienced in Ireland, is that companies have very specific goals in mind for who they want to put in a job, and it's a tiny little box. And in Ireland, Alex and I just didn't fit into those boxes. <laughs> you know, we had a lot to offer, but no one was willing to, to give a chance. Um, I did get a job offer and I I worked for a day and it, the values just weren't aligned and I couldn't continue to, to work um, in that way. So um, for us, it's very values-driven, but um, we're always trying to convince and open the minds of our clients that we recruit for on the recruitment side that there are alternatives. <laughs> you just have to open your thinking. And I know that you're big on design thinking and human-centered um, design. And I think that, um, yeah, we're trying to get recruiters to really call out and question The candidates that are on short lists. And, you know, I've always been an advocate for that, but it's a big uphill journey (laughs) to try and convince organizations to think a little bit left field and look at alternative candidates that may need a little bit more support but that long term and you know a lot of the refugees and migrants that we work with when they're placed in jobs they're the most dedicated driven determined uh, loyal you know they just give so much to the organizations but the those um staff and the teams and the organization benefits so much more from having that person as part of their, their team so a lot of the work that, that Alex and I do now is advocating um, in relation to corporates around their diversity hiring and ensuring that they're actually reaching out and welcoming diverse hires into their business and making their positions in the organization accessible. And we're hoping to work towards all roles, (laughs) diversity and inclusion accessible. There's a a very long way to go uh, in Australia. So um, that's what our kind of part of our mission and vision is.
0: Wow. Thank you. So, yeah, I mean, just sort of in in recapping that um, recruitment organizations have have a real opportunity to influence um, larger organizations and to advocate and almost a, a responsibility for that, and also um, in terms of in terms of that that minority cohort. I mean, you know, everyone's talking about the Great Resignation, and then we have this amazing cohort of of, of untapped potential. And actually, sort of linking into that, that's what I'm really I, I want to go on to next, because as you know, I was uh, lucky enough to be in one of your earliest cohorts for 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 glow up. And I loved that, you know, in order to get your accreditation, you had to coach uh, a refugee. And it was, and it was, it was a really, I suppose, enriching on both sides experience. So I'm wondering if you can share, have you got one or two success stories of the, uh, you know, the refugees that have come through the glow up process?
2: Yeah, sure. So um, really how it all happened was that we we had... um set up an accreditation program because we noticed that there was a big gap between what um, candidates were learning through both career coaching career transition um, about the job market and the reality of what they were facing when they got onto the market so we knew and we also knew through our recruitment networks about all the different technologies and how the recruitment market was working and where we could bridge that gap and so we set up an accreditation program to teach initially teach coaches and that's really expanded now to embrace leaders who want to give back and through volunteer career coaching. And uh, we were trying to figure out, and we had we had developed an online program uh, that brought people through coaching, and we tested that, and it was yeah, we were getting really amazing results with people just understanding how the process worked, especially around kind of keyword optimization of resumes and um, how the the job boards and how LinkedIn and how all of those things worked and how recruiters searched. So we had all of that in place, but there was I felt like there was something really missing <laughs> that missing link, and I was at an event. And I met this amazing man called Arash Bordbar, and Arash um, and some of his uni friends were at this event. And Jeff Morgan was speaking from Morgan and Banks, who had offered me a job when I first came to Australia. And it was about careers. And uh, and then Arash and I got talking and he said, oh, I'm I'm originally from Iran and I came as a refugee and I'm looking to finish my degree and I want to find work and I don't know where to start. And he said, my friends are in the same boat. And I said, "Okay, let me offer you all free career coaching. We can put you through the program. And then that's when the light bulb moment came. That wow, this would be amazing to be able to, you know, include as part of our accreditation program that each of our coaches will support somebody from a refugee or migrant background, and and we're looking to expand that to people with disabilities and yeah, a whole range of other and um, people from different backgrounds that need that support. So Arash um, came through the program, and I coached Arash, and we set his career goals. So we do, it's a values focused thinking approach. So we get people to think about their values that are important to them, which Mm -hmm. as Alex and I, we talked about our own kind of personal values. That's super important. And we also get them to look at their strengths and their passions and set career goals. So Arash's career goal, when we worked through it, was to be the High Commissioner of the UN. So that was his big, <laughs> big goal. Um, wow. And we then break it down into what's the short, medium and long term. So he was studying engineering and he was thinking, how do I go from become, you know, being an engineer to becoming <laughs> the High Commissioner of the UN? And we just worked through and and I introduced him to a number of senior leaders, I introduced him to Irish Consul General and some CEOs of but also charities. World
1: Bank environmental scientists and, you know, people working in, sustainable development agriculture and engineering globally so yeah. yeah he started to see that you can transition from just pure you know kind of civil engineering degree into something that actually does give back and leads on a could sort of it was almost like it was lighting the pathway towards his yeah. UN mm-hmm. goal
2: and he was doing he um was doing a lot of advocacy in the refugee space and was a really big voice um as a young person in that space and just the most amazing thing happened is that he did so much work on himself and he followed through and he actually got in touch with the high commissioner's office and he spoke to HR and he found out what would he need to do to become the high commissioner. Oh. And, uh, And it's a long obviously it's a long path and it's a big goal um but he started to do training and learning and filling in some of those gaps and then it's probably a year ago now he was offered a permanent job with the un in copenhagen Mm -hmm. so he flew to copenhagen and we still keep in touch and he's just sharing messages every day of inspiration to other people about their careers and you know how to aim high and to follow your dreams and Yeah, so Arash is our refugee ambassador, and we have so many other stories. It's like we've just had so many friends. The kids the other day said to me, Mom, how do you and Dad have all these friends from so many different countries? Uh, and it's just, we've learned so much. We've grown and the kids as well, like they love having, um, you know, people. And uh, we've got a lovely guy called Yasser in this area who lives locally. And in lockdown, Yasser and I did some bushwalks together and Yasser um, delivered some Persian cakes to the kids on the first oh, week wow. of lockdown. And yeah, we've um, another lady called Grace Arash, who's just been amazing. And um, she went through a program and she's flying to Uganda Uh, And we've been collecting some um, things to send to the kids in Uganda for her to bring over, and helping her with her charity. Uh, So yeah, it just they become part of our glow up family.
1: And then I think, and I think also on the coach side, as we went down this path of getting our coaches through an accreditation program that had them coaching a refugee on a pro bono basis, we started to notice that we were attracting a particular type of mentor or leader. Yeah, and there was a sort of altruistic quality to those people, personality-wise, yeah. and it was almost like it was a leading indicator of whether they were going to fit into our community. So what yeah. we discovered was we actually had early on some sort of very traditional, very focused executive leadership development coaches, mm-hmm. the sort of people who would you know, charge three grand a day to sit alongside a new CEO to help them into the job, first 100 days sort of stuff. And once we started talking to them about, Coaching, they said, Yep, you know, I'm excited about that. I'm always interested in new tools and technology and anything that can assist in terms of my delivery is brilliant. But then when we got to the by the way, you have to do some free coaching for refugees, those people from that group sort of said, Well, that's not really what I do.
0: So you filter down. I have
1: a, I have a highly valued business and that would sort of devalue it in a way. So they, they probably weren't right for what we're doing. Yeah. And so then what we discovered was. It, it is literally a leading indicator of, are you one of us?
2: Yeah. Yeah, wow. it's very heart-led. And you, yeah, you would know we've got now 100 and over 130 coaches in our community and we have monthly events and we keep all of our coaches upskilled and they collaborate. There's amazing collaborations happening between our coaches and new business ideas. And- I
0: mean, the investment that you guys put in into uh, keeping that tribe and growing that tribe is, is phenomenal and I just think as as I was listening to you Alex a question a question for you i mean i'm assuming it hasn't been this beautiful perfect painless upward trajectory what what have been some of the bumps in the road if 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 people are listening to this and they're thinking okay right i'm going to go out and i'm going to you know add this uh, social good and i'm going to do this instead of what have you What might be some of the areas where you'd say, okay, well, you might just want to consider this or?
1: So, you know, classic startup issues of lots to do, not enough time, not enough money. How do we, do we get funding? Do we find government grants? Do we get venture capital? All that sort of stuff, the structure, the how do we juggle work plus life plus a recruitment business that's also running side side by side, plus getting the word out it's a new website new marketing new pr campaign how do we fund all of that kids so there's all of that stuff how do we deal with the kids who's cooking dinner who's dropping the kids to school who's picking them up? it's just never ending you know who did the laundry there's no school shorts for our son this morning
0: and you still have all that
1: juggle there's all that like integrated work-life juggle but there's also when we started the idea of corporate social responsibility was just starting to pick up steam and look there are some organizations big global ones who front and center sort of wear it on their sleeve and it's very important to them so there's you know apple does it well with their education side particularly and you know an australian local legend atlassian does it very well i think and you know everyone knows those two obvious brands and probably the tech sector is more attuned to it yeah a couple of reasons i think they they traditionally struggled to find really brilliant people particularly in software development it's a very competitive space and it's there's just never enough of those people and so adding in some extra offering like we're going to do something socially good or climate change good made those brands start to stand out from their others their other competitors so would you work for apple or samsung i think if you ask most people without being mean to samsung most people on the planet would say I'd probably start with Apple and see what that was like because there's this sense of that brand doing better things than Samsung. Is it accurate? I'm not sure it's true. So
2: this is, this is really, Sorry, go on.
1: So I think what we saw was in terms of hurdle for what we're doing is there's that sort of corporate good, corporate social responsibility was well entrenched in terms of climate change. So if you think about... You know, 25 years ago, and you went to an AGM of any listed business globally, no one talked about climate change. No one had a carbon zero policy. No chairman stood up and said, we're going to be carbon neutral by X, Y, Z. But nowadays, it's a commonplace thing to be in there. There's always a climate policy. Every company has one. Yeah. And every yeah. company has some statement at an AGM saying, this is what we're doing for sustainable development in terms of innovation or whatever it may be to offset their carbon. you know. So that's become an entrenched, normalised thing that the human race must do. We recognise it, we see it, it's visible. Whereas the diversity and inclusion side in terms of our hiring practice and how do we embrace the whole of humanity, not just the people that we're used to seeing and we they look like us and they're familiar to us, yeah. speak the same language, look in the mirror the same way we do, all that stuff that's sort of an early part of the story and so it's only it's only just picking up steam now so we often or i often in particular sort of describe it to our recruitment clients when we're trying to convince them this is a good idea mm. that you need to get on board this ship now because it's the same as climate change within 20 years this is going to be a thing that you must talk about at your agm so if you're not ready yeah and be left out
0: so that's really interesting so what what i'm hearing is that there are organizations who have embraced this because they realized it was an advantage to attracting the right talent Um, and then there's the organizations who are so values driven that that came first i'm trying to think of the chicken and the egg or the horse and the cart does it really matter does it does it matter does it i mean at the end of the day if everyone benefits, is it important or will there start to be cracks for those organizations who are doing it for a different purpose?
2: Well, there's debt we definitely see cracks. <laughs> so um especially around diversity hiring, um, there's definitely cracks because companies need to be welcoming and they need to have staff that um you know that that understand how to support um, refugees and migrants, and and also have advocates, because we also find that a lot of um, diverse talent um, tends to kind of get stuck in the lower levels of an organization. So there's a real issue in relation to actually. And having advocates to help really promote and bring those people up through into senior level roles yeah. So and that's a massive issue in Australia currently and that's something that we're trying to address by um, putting leaders through our accreditation program they have a lived experience which uh, gives them that. because a lot of um, leaders haven't really had an opportunity and it's not because they don't want to it's just that there hasn't been an opportunity for them to support people from diverse backgrounds yeah. and there's a real misconception perception that, you know, our refugees can only do certain entry-level roles, which is complete rubbish. <laughs> um, you know, that oh, there's just they're just normal people. They're just like everyone else, they've just happened to have been through a really difficult time through no fault of their own and had to leave their country and everything often everything behind them. And we're just about to start a project with Host International supporting all of the newly arrived Afghani evacuees um, with career coaching uh, that we'll be uh, accrediting a whole team of coaches. Um, and then we, they'll be using our platform to deliver the coaching to those Afghani refugees. And we're hoping that corporates in Australia will embrace and and uh, yeah, start to hire some of, of these people. And, and, you know, it is, in one way, it's kind of, this talent shortage has triggered uh, companies to assess. It's a pity that it had to come to that, that they, (laughs) you know, oh, we need staff. So now maybe this is a, a pathway that we can look for. However, um, you know it's still brilliant that companies are starting to identify. And every day we're hearing stories of companies that have just never considered uh, refugees and migrants as a targeted talent pipeline um, that they can hire from. So um, I think the, the last two years has been a real big shift. And, and we were talking, you were asking, Alex, about the hurdles. One of the biggest hurdles when we launched two years ago on world refugee day was that corporates were saying to us no we want coaching to be face to face we don't want it to be virtual because our platform <laughs> our, our programs were all online and we do all our, our coaching is via video and part of that is to oh, irony. get people used to the technology and the tools and get used to video and look where we are now two years later that is just the norm <laughs> so yeah so hurdles change and, and i think we've been lucky timing wise in that Um. yeah, it it would have been a a much longer uphill struggle if the pandemic hadn't hit. And that's a a reality that uh, I think there's a lot of benefits from the diversity and inclusion piece that have come out. And it is really high in companies' agendas now. There's a lot of organisations that know that they have to do something. They know they're barely scratching the surface. They're not investing enough in their hiring practices. It's picking
1: up steam differently. I think, you know, sadly, if you go back historically The global war on terror that started pretty much with the Gulf War, in you know, way back when, set us back on this topic about probably 50 years, I'd say. And so if you ask the average person in the streets in an Australian city what what immediately springs to mind when you say the word refugee, they have a very specific picture in their head of what that person looks like, where they've come from, what their background is, where they've been, you know, how they've been mistreated or maligned and you know what they can and can't do for work in Australia they've sort of pigeonholed them before they began yeah yeah. and I don't think it's a racist thing I think it's a mass media thing but I you know I think if you if you go back to the origin of the word refugee um, we're talking Huguenot French fleeing to at the time England and they would turn up in England by boat so boat people and they would say, refugee, refugee. So that English saw them as, oh, they're refugees. That's where the word comes from. Yeah. But those people then didn't look dissimilar. They looked the same. They were yeah. just fleeing persecution. Yeah. So I think anyone can be a refugee, you know, and God forbid something terrible happens to Australia in terms of a sort of global shift in power or tensions or any of that stuff. Who knows in terms of future. But, you know, don't just ignore the fact that it could happen to you. It could happen to anyone, absolutely. and so if you leave them, if if we leave them aside and we see them, we don't see them because they're invisible. You're ignoring the fact that that too, you know, yeah, could be you.
0: Yeah, no, it, it, absolutely, it's time to surface the invisibles, and and just going back to what you were saying as well, Yvonne, You know that, and and I'm there's a really good podcast I did with Joanne Lockwood around diversity and inclusion and belonging, but I think it's also time to to revisit that because. It's great. You know, that, that, also, that saying that diversity is a fact and inclusion is an act. OK, you've got this amazing um, diverse cohort, but how you make them feel and how included and part and belonging part of the tribe they feel is where the real the real work
2: starts. Um, yeah, And that's where the cracks are, clear at the moment. Yeah. Companies are just not ready, yeah. um, but they have to start somewhere. So there's no point in waiting. <laughs> they have right. to start, but they have to be able to have advocates internally that can support. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a great group called the Employer Network for Refugee Inclusion that Selena Chu runs, and we, we met yesterday. And there's lots of corporates that are joining that group to learn how they can support and hire refugees and learn from each other. And we were talking about that topic just yesterday that... Um, the importance of having people that that support. And it's not that it's, it's just that um, obviously, you know, some of the refugees and migrants have have different issues than you and I have, and they have different family issues. And, you know, a lot of the Afghani um, migrants, a lot of them have been here for a long time and and some of them newly arrived and, you know, they're having a, a lot of stress and worry about their families back in um, in Afghanistan currently so there's you know there's things that are happening in their lives that none of us can ever relate to but we can still be there to it doesn't mean that they can't do an amazing job and they can't be really great employees and they can't give back yeah, yeah. it just means that sometimes um, they might need different types of support um, and just adjusting how you normally we were talking to uh, ANZ Bank was one of the, the companies that presented yesterday and they said um, you know they've just had to change some of their processes so uh, they were talking about um, yeah some of the, the hiring process are just a little bit different and tweaked yeah. to make it inclusive and create that sense of belonging and I think yeah companies have to be flexible and aware and that goes across I I did uh, listen to the podcast with Jan Lockwood and it's uh, really insightful and we're just starting with refugees and migrants but that's definitely not where our journey will end so we want to look at LGBT we want to you know look at people with disabilities low socioeconomic people so uh, all the different there's so many diverse cohorts and we've seen what's happened with you know Netflix at the moment with trans Um, in the US and yeah there's yeah been uh, quite a few kind of high profile things that have happened recently Mm. that have really triggered that you know racism and discrimination is still rife in Australia and and globally and I think companies need to really kind of call that out and and come down and, and really open up their doors to be truly diverse and learn from other organizations that are doing it well.
0: And, and that brings me to, you, you pretty much answer, answered the question, but just in case there's something that I've missed off, was around what's your vision for Glow Up? Your big vision, your big, hairy, audacious goal vision. Great
1: big, big goal is to be, you know, a world, you know, if we could be, hopefully, a world leader in helping, you know, move this needle, particularly on the inclusion side. I agree totally with the idea that, you know, diversity is a fact. I think most people on earth get the fact that we are a diverse group of living things and that's partly the beauty of the human race. But including each other in everything is still a serious work in progress. Yeah. And yeah. so if our vision is just one thing, you know, starting with our sort of mission in life, which is to help everyone find the career of their dreams, if you imagine a world where that is true, I think a lot of those UN Sustainable Development Goals get ticked off. People do have clean water, people do not live in poverty. People you know, have the ability to pick and choose what they do for a living. They can have a family when they want to. They, they, the economic potential of this sort of invisible populations of people who are not seen for whatever discriminatory reason or they just, they're just not on the radar because they don't have the right degree or whatever it might be. The economic potential of those people is enormous. And so I think the world would be a dramatically different place if we can achieve any of this. Yeah.
2: So and we so really we I really want to
1: I think the thing is just like we have companies need to start small. I mean we read a statistic just recently that suggested in Australia anyway at the sort of up uh, larger than SME level so Corporate Australia 82% of organisations here don't open up all of their internal job ap- you know opportunities to their entire staff. Wow. So it's the simplest thing in the world you could do. You just say, Look, we're looking for someone in the accounts team. Anyone in the company can apply. It's as simple Absolutely. as
2: that yeah but uh, and what we're finding as well they don't know that they have diverse talent within their organization in those lower levels that are studying, and one of the biggest barriers, especially for the refugees um uh, is that a lot of their education doesn't transfer so um that's something that yeah we're supporting I think all we're, we're really supporting advocating for any changes that will break down those hurdles um, because if they've studied four years for a degree and then that's not recognized at all here they have to start again and do another four years and that just sets them back where they have the capability and the skills and it's not recognized mm. so I think there's still a lot of hurdles to get through um yeah from a kind of structural perspective but totally agree like we're really advocating for businesses any organization to just start <laughs> with Absolutely. one cohort one diverse cohort and you know you do need to reach out and, and bring them in and you've got to have that support structure but it's not you know, it's not as difficult as, as organizations think. It actually can happen really quickly, um, and it's about embracing, and that's got to come from the top, from um, you know a values perspective that uh, you know that organizations are embracing inclusivity and diversity and belonging, and yeah, there's got to be budgets put towards supporting those initiatives, which there has there just hasn't been the support. And
1: we and we also know, you know, from history globally that. There's only so much individual governments can do you know until the until the earth and the human race is all just one civilization and i can't see that happening in my lifetime individual governments have a limited ability to act they do that there's lots more they could do obviously but when we see corporate citizens get behind something like climate change dramatic changes happen in a very short space of time yeah. so so heading in the direction of corporations and getting them to sort of start, you know, adjusting their thinking to change some of this speeds up the process enormously.
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. And and just coming into close, it's funny as I was listening to you. So in the, in the professional speaking community, there's a joke around certain stories and metaphors that are, that are just so overused that they become so cliche, but there's one that just reminds me of you guys. And it's, it's where um there's a couple walking along the beach and all of these starfish have been washed up they've been washed up on the beach and this couple are just picking up a starfish and throwing it back in the water and and they're approached by someone and says what an earth are you doing you know i mean just look at how many starfish are washed up on this beach you can't make a difference and they pick up a starfish and throw it and say made a difference to that one <laughs> oh what and
2: no, yeah so we're fantastic. bringing lots of other people on our starfish journey i love that you yes. certainly <laughs> are. I,
0: I i love i love what you're doing i love your mission and and, and thank you for sharing your wisdom um the challenges uh, and everything else that goes with it and i think you know if there was if if there are people listening to this and they're thinking gosh you know that's that's speaking to me um if there was one message or one piece of advice or one area you could point them to to get started what would that be
1: other than the obvious get in touch with us i would say start small yeah. start in your yeah. local community if you're yeah. an individual yeah. and you're not a the owner of a huge corporation, or you're not a bunch of shareholders, or a venture capitalist, or a private equity firm. Start small. There might be someone across the road from you that could use assistance. Yeah. And sure. if you're a corporate leader in your career, and you know, it could be someone. We've got people in our street who whose kids are sort of heading in the direction of finishing high school, and they're they're potentially, you know, they'll be needing in need of help of what do I do? You know. Yeah do I go to university? Do I go to TAFE? Do I become a carpenter? Which is the best opportunity sure, for me? Sure. You know, and it could be as simple as a conversation in the street that helps someone.
2: Perfect. Yeah. And I think it's about for the, for individuals about dreaming big. So um, being, you know, being, being there to support people to help them dream big and aim high and not be constrained by what's gone before or who in their family, you know, what they've done. So that's really what we're advocating around, that everyone can have the career of their dreams. And as a coach community, we're there to support them and create advocates that are throwing starfishes and saving <laughs> these people and and giving them the opportunities to have amazing careers and, and for other people to learn from them. So
1: yeah. yeah, and I think, you know, the only other thing I'd add is, Having grown up in Australia in my hometown of Sydney, you know, the Emerald City, it was such a sort of, you know, I didn't come from a wealthy family or anything like that, lower middle class at best, but it was such a privileged upbringing, you know, it's a safe, secure, friendly environment. We played cricket in the street. We knew all the kids from the local school and we all lived locally and we would, you know, be off on our bikes after school every day until dark, sometimes until the next morning. And nothing ever happened to anyone. It was a wonderful place and we have this sort of culture in Australia of laid back, easy going, go to the beach, sit in the sun, welcoming, g'day mate, you know, shrimp on Barbie. That's that's what we sell to the world but I do not believe we're currently selling it to the people who are arriving through a different channel to how we grew up here. And so I think the simplest thing we could do is to see those people in the same vein as we are.
2: Everyone else. They
1: think they're here. It's a good place to be. Let's embrace them being here.
0: Wise words, Alex and Yvonne. Thank you so much. I'll put all your contact details, and it's great to say get in touch, and I'll put the details of both your businesses and the refugee organisation, and anything else that you can point us to, just, just let me know.
2: It's yes, been... I'll say I've got, so we've got some good diversity reports and right. information that we can share. So Fabulous. Awesome.
0: Thank you. It's been a pleasure, and honor. Go well, stay safe, and just keep doing what you do in one starfish at a time.
2: Thank you for everything that you do. I love listening to your podcasts, and it's so important to share all these messages and hear from such inspirational leaders. So, And thank you for being part of our Glow Up community and all the volunteering you do. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Claire. Thanks for listening and we hope that this conversation provided the insights and inspiration you were looking for. Did you know that Authentic Leadership was ranked number 10 in the top 25 Australian leadership podcasts for 2021? You can help us to get to number one by heading over to Apple iTunes and giving us a positive rating and writing a short review. It's also the most effective way for us to get the key messages around 21st century leadership out into the community. Go well, stay safe and keep listening and learning.